Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. It's been a Solomon full morning for us with uh, remembering the fallen in the two world wars and more. Uh, every, every village almost in the land has a war memorial with a list of names on it. And we remember those who fell and those who fought for the freedoms that we enjoy. It's an extraordinary thing. If you look at those uh, cemeteries, uh, lots and lots and lots of crosses of, of people who've been fallen in, in the First World War, 1914 to 18, and the Second World War, 1939 to 1945. And uh, we, we enjoy freedoms, and the freedoms that we enjoy, well, we want to use that freedom well. And we want to use that freedom for building a better world. As, uh, as the hopes of the people who died, many of them younger than you, 18, 19, 20. Uh, I, my grandfather fought in the First World War, was in Belgium, and involved in action. And uh, so I, one has a respect. But at the same time, there were Christians, you know, who didn't feel that they could be involved in fighting or killing. And so they became pacifists or conscientious objectors, and they drove ambulances and they became nurses or doctors or they worked on the land in reserved occupations. So there were Christians really who were fighting and there were Christians who were not fighting. And it was a matter of conscience and the churches had to handle the matter sensitively and wisely. So I just want to say that because there may be some people here who say, well, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe you should ever kill anybody. And there are others who say, no, you must fight for your country. And I, I think we just have to acknowledge that it's a complex and difficult issue, like many of the issues that we face. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5. Uh, and it's uh, five, six, and seven. So it's three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, it's partly repeated in Luke's Gospel as well. But it's a, it's a big uh, portion of Matthew's Gospel. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus goes up a mountain and people come up the mountain with him and he begins to teach them. And this, these, these three chapters in Matthew are a, a series of things on which he teaches uh, so he is speaking to the people. In fact, sometimes people say it's a little bit like Moses going up the mountain and, and then speaking to Israel. And so Jesus goes up the mountain and speaks to the people who become Christians and who will follow and serve him. Although at the time he speaks, really, you could say that they were, most of them were Jewish people who heard what he had to say. So I'm going to read to you from uh, Matthew 5 and uh, and starting at verse 21, and I'm going to read right through to verse 26. So, you've heard uh, that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, 
If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Okay, let's go to verse 21. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. This is one of the Ten Commandments, the sixth of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And I, I, I want to just say, by way of kind of um, making a distinction, that this command applies to civil society in peace. Uh, it, it's, it's different in wartime. And you, you can think of that with David and Goliath. David goes and kills Goliath, and nobody complains about that. But, but in, in civil society, in peace, you shall not murder. You shall, and that is, as I say, one of the ten commandments that is given to the people of God. You shall not murder. Murder is actually the highest possible crime. It, it normally has the highest tariff in, in terms of the judicial tariff uh, of, of, of uh, years in prison or even uh, capital punishment. So murder is the most serious possible crime because to take a human life is irreplaceable. Someone comes and pinches my mobile phone, I can at least get another mobile phone. If someone damages my car, I can at least try and get it repaired. But if someone takes your life, then it is, it is not replaceable. And so murder has always been seen as the apex of crime, the worst possible crime. And Jesus says, you've heard that it was said in old time. So you've heard it said to the people of Israel when the Ten Commandments were given, you shall not murder. It's one of the conditions of civilized life that we shall not murder. There shall not be murder. And you will find that in this country, if murder takes place, the police are on it and they will investigate it seriously. Unfortunately, some of the other crimes are not taken so seriously, but murder, they, they switch everything on and they seek to prevent murder. So it is one of the conditions of the life in which we live today in this country that there is not murder and murder is seen to be a heinous crime and should not be committed. And Jesus says, you've heard it said in old time, you shall not murder. And if anyone murders, he'll be subject to judgment. Understandably. But I tell you, and here I want you to notice the contrast. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you, and then Jesus makes a, tells us something extra, something else. And so, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, what we have is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking about the, the law as it existed in Israel. And the law, I should explain, as it existed in Israel, is a very comprehensive and complex set. In fact, the rabbis had gone through the Old Testament, and they had counted up 
the number of commands that they should keep. And you know, there were 613 commands. 613, regulating everything from what you could eat, what you could wear, when you could travel, property, everything was regulated by the Mosaic law and all the bits off it, as it were. So, huge number of commands. And Jesus says, you've heard it said in old time, but I tell you. And so what Jesus is saying is a way of living that is going to be an improvement on the law, a better way of living, a new way of living, a, a way of living that is not under the detail of the Mosaic law. You and I, for example, are allowed to eat pork. And there are people here who will be very grateful about that because they like a bacon butty. Uh, you and I are allowed to wear clothing with, with mixed fabrics in it. Uh, but, but the Jewish people were not. Uh, the men do not have to grow the, the forelock of, of their hair. Uh, all kinds of things that were under the law, we don't have to do as Christians. We are not under the law in the same way. So Jesus says, but I tell you, and then what he tells them is this, he says, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be in danger of judgment. So Jesus speaks about the disposition and motivation that is in the person more than the actual external act. So murder is an act. Murder is a deed. Murder is something that is done. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be in danger of the judgment. And I, I want to say to you that Jesus is, is, is reaching the point of the heart. Christianity has been rightly called a religion of the heart. Of the heart. We are not living in a, a legalistic faith. We're living in a faith that is to do with the heart. With the heart. And Jesus speaks to us and it is the change in the heart that occurs when we come to Christ. It is the heart that is changed. It is into our heart that the love of God is poured by the Holy Spirit. It is through the working of the Spirit that our heart is changed. Our heart is cleansed. It is, it is in the heart that change occurs. So Jesus speaks about the heart. Because if the heart is right, the deeds will be right. If the heart is right, there won't be murder. If your heart is right, you're not going to murder anybody because you will love them. You will love your neighbor. You will even love your enemy. If your heart is right, there won't be murder. So what Jesus is saying is profound, but it's also practical. Because if the heart is changed, people will live right. If the heart is changed, they won't break the law. They won't murder. They won't do what is wrong. And as you read on, and as we go through this series in the Sermon on the Mount, you will see this, this refrain occurs more than once. You've heard it said in the past. It was taught this, but Jesus says, but I'm teaching you this. And in each case, Jesus is dealing with the inner being, the inner life. May my heart be pure. May the words of my heart be pure.
and the meditation of my may the words of my heart the meditation of my lips be always acceptable in your sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer may my heart be right in your sight may my heart be 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 close to you, be reaching out to you. May my heart be full of faith. May my heart be full of love. May my heart be full of forgiveness. May my heart be right. The Christian is seeking to be that kind of person, people who are authentic, people who are genuine, because their heart is right. So I want to say to you that we, we're, not, we're not like the Pharisees, Matthew 25, who clean the outside of the cup, leave the inside dirty we are Christians and the inside is clean and the outside is clean when they made the ark of the covenant in the old days they put gold on the acacia wood on the outside but they also put it on the inside gold on the inside gold on the outside and that's how it should be so for, for us as people who seek to follow Christ, let us be those whose hearts are right. It's because of this that we are, we are those who, who reach out and want to do what he wants us to do. So then, do not murder. That's what was said long ago. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, let's, let's work on the heart. Let me, let, me, let me be prepared. And I found this in practice. If I pray for people who've upset me or offended me, that helps me to forgive them. If, I, if I've been upset, and I've been on the earth long enough to have been upset a few times, and, uh, but if I pray for those who've done harm, then I find that my, my anger subsides and is washed away. And it's removed. So let us be those who, who, who bless and do not curse. Let us be those who reach out in compassion. So that the church of Christ is a church of, of people whose hearts are full of love, whose hearts have been purified, whose, whose experience of God is, is, is real. So I want to say to you, let us be what Jesus tells us to be. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka. Now you may say to me, well, I've never said Raka to my brother. Um, and indeed, it is a, it's a kind of Jewish um, insult. Uh, it's Aramaic. Uh, we, don't, we, we probably have other words which we might have said to our brothers. Um, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So here, Jesus is speaking about the words you say, the words I say, what we say. Very important. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's from what's within our hearts that we say. So you, you are, if you are, romantically involved and because your heart is full of love you say to your 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 spouse I love you because out of the heart come the words and I just want to spend a moment or two talking about words because what you say is important there's a there's a passage in the 
epistle of James where he says this. He says that the, the big ships are blown by the winds on the sea. And yet these big ships, big sails, big ships, have a little rudder at the back and the rudder steers the ship. And, and, uh, and uh, I'll read it to you, actually. He says, Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. James 3. So it is the, 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 the rudder at the back that steers the ship. And the, the tongue, the words, are what steers the ship, or steers the ship of your life. It is, it is what you say that takes you on and determines the course that you go. The words that I say, the words that I speak, the promises that I make, the, the, the words that I, I say in, in praise, the words that I say in, in thanksgiving, the words that I, I say to others, these are the words that guide my life. And I want to say to you that we need to be sure that our words are right. That's why we, as Christians, you, you don't use bad language. Uh, you don't. You don't want to use bad language. I often hear people use bad language, and I think, are those the only words you've got to use? You know, what a re remarkably limited vocabulary. If, if you can simply only use a small number of swear words to emphasize what you want to say. And, and you know, there are plenty of words in the English language. You don't use the need to use spare words. You know, you know there are, Shakespeare knew about 40,000 words. You know, you pick up a dictionary, there are a lot of words in it. You don't need to use swear words, you know, to, to make your point, because there are plenty of other good words. It is the words that we say that determine the direction of our life, that it is the words that we say which are also to do with our salvation. Because with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Saved. So I want to say to you that through what you say, through you, we believe in our heart, but I confess Christ as risen from the dead. That is what brings about or triggers or activates or, or, or shows the salvation. It is because of this that then we're saved. So I want to just encourage you to be people whose words are right and whose words are careful. And you'll hear other sermons talking on this sort of topic later in this series because Jesus is clear. Let us be those whose lips are pure, whose lips are clean. Uh, and I, I speak as someone who, 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 when I was younger, knew what it was to use bad language. Uh, but, but I want to say to you, as with Isaiah, you know, when he sees the Lord, the cherubim and seraphim come and touch his lips and, and take away his iniquity. You remember Isaiah? He says, I live among a people of unclean lips. I remember when I was a, a, young, a, young, a young person, I was working one of my first jobs, and I was standing at the photocopier, actually, as you tend to do in those days, photocopying, and there was somebody there uh, who was, began to swear and take the name of Christ in vain. And I turned to him and I said, why are you doing that? Why, why, are you, why are you using the name of Jesus in that way? I said, I find that. And, and he just apologized. Because it is something that, that, is, that is 
that hurts. It's because he, he, he could have said other things, but instead he, he was using the name of Jesus in the wrong way. And I, I want to say to you, friends, that, that let our words be right. Let them be encouraging. You know, words can be, in the book of Proverbs, words of encouragement are like, what are they like? Like uh, apples of gold in a plate of silver, something like that from the book of Proverbs. Let, them, let our words be, be right. And then, this is the final point I want to make as I come on here. Uh, so, so after speaking about words, I want to say, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, your brother or your sister, uh, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled with your brother. Be reconciled with your brother. There will be people in this room who've got family feuds. There will be people in this room and you haven't spoken to your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, your brother for a long time. I want to say that we are people who seek reconciliation. When you were against and now you are friends. And I, I want to encourage you to reach out a hand of reconciliation. I want you to encourage you to be reconciled to the person you used to be friendly with, you turned against, and now to reach out and seek to be friends with them again. And that is not an easy thing to do. Recognize that. It's not an easy thing to do. And particularly, you know, it won't, wouldn't have been easy for those first Christians who had come out of Judaism and who who all their family were, were Jewish people and they'd come into a new faith of Jesus the Messiah. It wouldn't have been easy. And it's, it's actually more difficult when people are belonging to another faith and, and far away and think that you're mad and wrong. But I want to say to you that we should be people who are willing at least to take the first step of reconciliation to others. Let there be a hand of friendship. Let there be an olive branch. Let there be a gracious word. Let there be a letter written to say, you know, I want to talk to you again. And I, 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 could, I could tell you stories from the family in which, which I live, and maybe I will tell you one. My parents were divorced when I was quite young, and my father went off with another woman. And my mother was devastated to find herself a single parent looking after two sons. And she was angry, she was bitter, and she was depressed because she'd been rejected and thrown aside because of what my father had done. And she went to church. Now, the church she went to was uh, a Russian Orthodox church. Uh, uh, there are those around. And one of the things the Russian Orthodox do, is a bit like the Catholics, you have to go to confession before you can have communion. And so she went to confession to the priest and she confessed her anger, her bitterness about this. And she told me, and this is what she said, she said it was like water against a stone. Bit by bit, gradually, she learned to forgive my father for what he had done wrong. It wasn't easy, it took time, but gradually she had learned to forgive him. And she never spoke ill of him, even though he had treated her badly. 
And although she, she, she got to know him and she met him again, and, and, and my parents, despite the fact that they had divorced, nevertheless, I like to feel that I wasn't as psychologically damaged as I might have been uh, by the divorce because of the way in which she was willing to speak will of him, well of him. And I want to say to you, friends, that reconciliation, be reconciled to your brother. And you might say, well, you know, I'm reconciled to everybody. Well, that's great if you are. But there will be people for whom they need to hear that. And I, I want to just to say to you that the church is a, is a community, a community of the reconciled, reconciled with God, reconciled with each other, a community where what we say is authentic because it comes from a heart that has been touched by the Lord. So let us be people who are, who are, who are listening to Jesus, who are, whose hearts are right, whose words are right, whose actions are right. Let us be people who are a community, a, a beacon set on a hill where, where people can see this is the way to live. Lots of different people reconciled. And you know, if you read the second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 5, you will see that Paul speaks of a gospel of reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation. You'll see that Paul speaks of reconciliation as what he is about. And actually what he is saying is we have a ministry of reconciliation seeking to reconcile people with God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And I want to say to you that our God is a God of reconciliation, a God who seeks to bring people to himself. And if you read the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, you will discover that Paul speaks of reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, creating one new man, one new body, so that between peoples that were opposed to each other, there is reconciliation. I want to say to you, whether it's reconciliation with your brother, whether it's reconciliation with God, whether it's reconciliation across nations, let there be reconciliation in this land. Let us be people who seek to follow Christ, who came from heaven to reconcile us to God. Amen, and God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.